a lot of people make the mistake of saying that they want their brand promise to be quality. And all the brand experts will say to you that that's a non-starter. And the reason it's a non-starter is because that's an assumed, it's assumed that your product is going to be a quality product. Smart e-commerce operators know that net profit is the lifeblood of a business, but at a small and profitable business than a large one which earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook by Jason Miles gives you 17 specific proven profit-taking actions. For a limited time, we are sharing this valuable resource with our listeners completely free. Download your 60-page workbook and start making your business more profitable today. Just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. That's theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit. We are Michael Vesey in London, England. Jason Miles in Seattle, Washington. More importantly, you are the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be. We're here to get you there. Let's jump in. Folks, welcome back to The E-Commerce Leader. Been a couple of weeks since we recorded. Last time we recorded, we talked about selecting a target market for your first Amazon brand, your first product as the start of your first brand. And really that was about finding a profitable niche and then actually speaking to humans and validating your ideas and even some initial designs as well. So that's a start, but of course, that's uh, not actually a brand. And a lot of people get stuck there or just never move on from that. But today we're going to talk about the hard graft of designing, branding and packaging, and then going and getting it made as well. If we have time, we'll talk about the launch, but I think that's probably going to be a separate episode because there's a lot to deal with. But at the end of it, you have your own defensible brand and you can make crazy money selling your brands. A friend of mine, biggest win I've heard of, I think he sold his brand for eight figures recently. Might even be more. It was crazy money. So if you get this right, there is a lot of gold at the end of the rainbow. So Jason, you up for discussing this? Oh, yeah, man. I love this topic. Branding and packaging is fun stuff to talk about. And so, yeah, let's, let's dive in. It's going to be, it's going to be a good conversation. Absolutely. And I think the branding and packaging, branding in particular, I, I feel that you're the branding guy. I quote you sometimes to my clients or have done in the past in terms of, you know, the branding uh, iceberg, which I know you didn't create, but you, you utilize mm -hmm. very well. And then I'm probably going to be the person that's better at the boring sourcing stuff because I've done it a lot. It is a lot of work, but at the other end of it, you've got your brand. So let's talk about branding and packaging first. That's the fun bit, right? So the importance of branding and brand identity. Tell me your thoughts on this, Jason, because I think you're the, you're the man for this stuff. Well, I mean, I think the initial conversation has to do with who your ideal customer is and what you're putting in front of them that they need and doing it in such a clear and compelling way that it's a no-brainer for them to say yes. The the brand concepts are many, the many concepts about how to, you know, create a, a brand. But I would, I would just say, you know, starting with a good assessment of what's already out there in the marketplace is a good place to look at the brand competition, and then really ask yourself the question: How can you uh, stand out? Now, the iceberg metaphor that you mentioned a moment ago is sort of a, a nice thing to think about. This is sort of a visual idea, and that's that there's brand elements that are above the waterline, if you will, uh, like how an iceberg floats. A and then there's brand elements that are below the 
the waterline are invisible. So the visible and the invisible uh, brand elements or attributes. I think the biggest thing to think about with the branding is that a brand isn't a logo necessarily by itself, and a brand isn't a name by itself. A brand really can be deeper than that and should be, and it really gets to the heart and soul of what you're promising to do for the customer. So the brand promise is really the place to start in my view. So with a brand promise, you can go from there and build from there. You can find a name that's unique. And anyway, I could go on and on, but what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on iceberg metaphor and brand promise? Happy to have you go on because I think it's, you know a lot about this stuff uh, and I've learned a lot from you in the past about this. Yeah, I agree. I think that the, when you introduced me to the iceberg metaphor and the fact that it's, it branded not the, the visible stuff, the logo and the name, it's what we feel about it. After all, Apple is just mm-hmm. the word for a piece of fruit. Amazon is, is a river until these days when we think about Amazon.com, which only changed its brand from Amazon.com to Amazon everywhere. A few years ago, because uh, everyone now thinks of Amazon as in the people who deliver stuff to your door rather than a, a river in the rainforest. So the point is, everything can be branded and the logo for Amazon is frankly nothing special, is it? It's an A to Z with a smile in between with an arrow on it. It's, it's nothing that, uh, it's not earth shatteringly beautiful. So I think you're right. And, and the reason that Amazon, for example, it's not a great e-commerce example in some ways because it is kind of a service these days, it's a marketplace, but it is associated for me with certain things that I care about and that they committed to from the very beginnings of speed of delivery, maximum selection, and, you know, really treating me like a god. I think that's the kind of work that I think we need to do, isn't it? That, the invisible yeah. stuff, the stuff that yeah. I want to associate my customers to associate with in the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the next question is, how do we go about this, I guess, really? Yeah, you can't do it in a vacuum. So Amazon is a good example because I was thinking, what is the brand element of, of Amazon? When And you said the first thing that I had in my mind as well, which was speed. Yeah. And so a lot of people make the mistake of saying that they want their brand promise to be quality. And all the brand experts will say to you that that's a non-starter. And the reason it's a non-starter is because that's an assumed, it's assumed that your product is going to be a quality product. And so you can't camp on that. doesn't matter if you think it's better than the competition. That's not a brand positioning. And so what you've got to do is get clearer than that. You've got to see what your competition is lacking in and not doing, what weakness they have, and then create a strength around that. So for example, Amazon clearly was competing for many years with brick and mortar retailers. And what is the inherent drawback for brick and mortar retailers? Well, you have to get in your car go down there, see if they've got it. Then if they do, you can get it. But all that time and energy is wasted if, you know, in many ways, it's just wasted compared to what Amazon delivers for you. And so the the brand promise has to be something that is uniquely possible by you and stands out in the marketplace as a competitive strength. The better the brand promise, the better the overall, you know, company that, you know, the, the brand you create accretes to the value of the business in totality. And so I would just say, you know, you've got to start with this. And if you're rushing to create a private label product and and you haven't really thought about this and you want to blow past it with just a name, just, oh, I'm just going to name it, whatever. You're making a fundamental mistake. 100%. It's a, it's a big mistake. You know, It's huge. And I think what's I think even coming up with a Duff name is not so terrible. There are some names that I can't think of off the top of my head, but that aren't amazing 
that have survived uh, a mediocre name because the products or services are fantastic. Uh, can't think of on Microsoft, for example. I mean, it's a pretty mm -hmm. lame name. Mm -hmm. it's, it's to do with microcomputers and software. It's not the greatest mm -hmm. name, but it's a huge hassle name because they, they managed to do it from their promise, which is not, by the way, the highest quality. Let's face it, Skype is kind of still in beta. It keeps asking me how the quality of my call was. I'm like, dude, you've had 20 years to figure this out. Don't ask me that. So it's not about quality, <laughs> but they are ubiquitous. They are everywhere and they're affordable and they have a different brand promise for, say, Apple, which is about kind of quality. But Apple didn't camp on quality. That, that was kind of, that became um, something people experienced, right? That became associated with the brand. But the brand promise was more about being unique, being creative. Innovative. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think you're right. I think a lack of, here's the thing. Broadly speaking, business is about making a promise and then delivering on it. Now, we're going to talk about the delivering on it piece in a second, which is the hard, hard work. And you've got to do that. If you don't do some hard work, you're not adding value to, to the you know, supply chain as a whole, then you won't get paid. But if you aren't willing to make a bold promise that's very specific, then you're right. You, you haven't got anything that's going to stand out and you will just get shot on price and you're guaranteed to lose mm -hmm. because the Chinese factories don't have to even really make a profit. As I understand that they get a rebate at the end of the year. So you will always lose on price as well. Yeah, I totally agree. So let me just give a couple examples to stand out just as, you know, kind of make, make things simple to think about. So I always like to talk about Mike Brown's coffee product. It's called uh, Deathwish Coffee. And it, it, I first met Mike and heard about this, I think in 2013, maybe we sat next to each other at a conference and, and his, his concept was very interesting to hear about. And, you know, you think about coffee and you're just like, how in the world could you make a unique or different coffee? And he was a, he was a coffee shop owner, a small shop you know, in upstate New York. And every morning his coffee customers would come in and they would ask for this, whatever the strongest coffee was that he had, that's what they wanted. Is give me the strongest you got. You know, it's like 5 a.m. They're going to work. And that put an interesting question in his mind, which is what is the strongest co coffee available, like the coffee beans? And he started, you know, researching it. He found that he couldn't find out. He couldn't figure out. No one had a claim to the strongest coffee, which was in his mind really odd because people drink coffee for the kick, you know, for the caffeine. And so you'd think, somebody would have claimed that positioning as the strongest coffee, but no one had. And so he knew how to, you know, roast coffee and get it all sourced and all that. And so he figured out the formulation that created literally the strongest you know, coffee with caffeine milligrams or whatever it is. Yeah. Milligrams of coffee per ounce. And he even had big companies come in and, and test it. And there's a beautiful, beautiful article that was in I think it was Huffington Post and it basically had these cute little coffee cups with little pie. It was like a pie chart made out of, you know, kind of a coffee cup. And it showed visually that Death Wish Coffee had the most caffeine, you know, per cup. And that was his unique angle. And then he had a name to create and the name to create was something for that working class person who was up at 5 a.m., you know, grinding it out. And so he wanted to shock them to be, you know, confrontational so death wish and he had a he had a, a reference in his mind to the old 1970s movie with charles bronson and so death wish coffee it was it i've seen that now in literally grocery stores all over america it's all over you know the retail and online and so that was a, that's a nice story i think in for a lot of ways because it, it was a large consumer segment brand opportunity that you know he wanted to go after a big category yeah. Uh, and yet he found a way. 
And I do think that's the situation many entrepreneurs are in. There is a way to do it if you find an angle. If you don't find an angle, it doesn't matter how small the niche is, Mm. you'll still probably fail. But if you find a good angle, then you can make space for yourself, even in the biggest categories. Yeah. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits. Absolutely. No, I love that story. It's fantastic that you met him. I've obviously heard of Deathwish Coffee as an incredible e-commerce success, but a few few lessons that starting out to sort of generalize it so that people can think about it for themselves. The first thing is he was a coffee shop owner, so he knew the category. And you don't have to be in the same category as you've been working for the last 20 years, or if you're obsessive, like there's a, a rugby ground near me, which is a bit like American football, only without the padding. <laughs> so like if you're obsessed with a particular sport or activity, or you have to get up at 5am, or you run a coffee shop or a pastry shop, you have an insight that other people don't. So I think it's silly to abandon that. It doesn't mean you have to stay with it, but you should at least start with the things you understand. Second yeah. thing is he's responding directly to customer question. The question they asked is, what's the strongest coffee? And he went and sort of created the answer to Mm -hmm. an existing question. He didn't think up what people wanted. They told him or they asked him for it, literally. So I had a really good business coach, Dan Bradbury, who said, look, one of the simplest ways to create products is find out what people want, go get it and give it to them. So find out what they want is market research. Yeah. Go get it. It's the sourcing, which we're talking about. That's a painful bit. You got to do some work and then give it to them is the marketing and sales and find out what they want is the really important bit. And I think he did that really, really well. And then he took the trouble to go and find out how to create it. You know? And yeah. that's, that's the sourcing piece. Yeah. So those are, those are kind of positioning and brand promise things. Let's talk about the naming for a minute before we move mm-hmm. on. Yeah, let's do that. So, you know, picking a name is hard and I've done it well and I've done it badly, both. And I think the thing that I would just encourage people to do is to take time and to really research the elements associated with brand names. And there are a lot of different structures, you know, for businesses or for products. Let me just mention a few. You can just use the last name, you know, VZ. I need a VZ. Would that be a good product name? I don't know. You can have a comp. I can see that be somehow a brand. (laughs) That was VZ. really strong coffee. I think people who know we would say that. So I'm like, I need a VZ caffeine. (laughs) There you go. See, see how fun that was? It was our last name. Compound word, like you mentioned Microsoft previously. So that's an example of a compound word. A portmanteau is a, a mashup of two words abbreviated together. Oh, that might be Microsoft, maybe a portmanteau. I guess it's hard to define the difference. Uh, you can use initials, which is, I think, generally speaking, most people would say the worst idea, you know, IBM, UPS, stuff like that. It's very hard to be memorable, but people do it, you know. A descriptive word is frequently used. A descriptive word is helpful because for Google purposes, you know, if you use a descriptive word in your name and your URL and uh, people are searching for that phrase or term, it really helps you a lot. 
And so, you know, there's a lot of great examples of descriptive terms. Whole foods is sort of a classic, very basic two words, isn't it? Whole foods, but it's created a brand for itself and it's descriptive. It resonates. And uh, there are many others. Neologism is a new word that you just make up and uh, just come up with something crazy. You can have a geographic name, you know, the uh, London Times or whatever, stuff like that. And you can co-opt a a word, like the Amazon uh, River was co-opted, of course, right? Google was a math term before Google Googled it. And so, you know, you can co-opt words. So there, you know, there are a lot of different ways to approach it. Now, once you start to think through that, I would just say the biggest tip I can give is use a lot of, you know, Googling and researching, use sites like NamePicker and others where you can make sure the site is actually available and the name is available to you. Obviously, you want to see if the you know, URL is available. If there are many other names that are almost identical, just you know, almost the same exact thing, move on. You, know, you've, you, you don't have a winning idea. You don't want to be confused with the 15 other companies that are almost identically named. You want to have a unique name. And it is not impossible. It is hard, but not impossible. And so take your time, get something fun and interesting and appropriate, and then Google the the crap out of it to make sure it's totally available to you and then go from there. You got the crap out of it. I like it. Just a couple of uh, other thoughts. Name checker is really good. Uh, That's name check without the second E. So name checker is really, really useful for checking things like that. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing I would be very careful about, especially with physical products, it's a pain in the everything to uh, try to change the name on the branding and the packaging on the actual product. So before you go and mass produce something, go and check the trademark situation. Particularly check the trademarks in a similar class. So for example, if you're selling coffee, you don't need to worry about, you know, Death Wish being something to do with a heavy metal band in the music category because clearly mm-hmm. nobody would get confused. And then the other thing is be just a little bit careful of descriptive words like whole foods might have been quite a difficult thing for the lawyers to get through. In America, in Britain, you can kind of do a lot of things that you want here. Life's a lot simpler. It's a very small country and we have a simple unified central system. But in America, it seems that trademarks, they can get a bit funny about things that are descriptive if they are too literal. So it's a good point. Um, yeah, good point. Ice way round that is to change one or two letters. So for example, I'm interviewing a, a lady from manuscripting, which is the same as sort of manuscript but with an I instead of manuscript. And so that's perfectly trademarkable. They've trademarked it, but it sounds like manuscript and it's all about journaling. So super smart naming strategy. I'll, I'll remember the name of the lady that I'm interviewing. There's been a few weeks I spoke to her, but that's a super smart way of doing it. Yeah. Um, the only other thing I would say is this. I see a lot of people, you must see this as well, Jason, they get very, very hung up on the, the name. I think taking your time is important. Having said that, if it becomes the single block that stops you moving forwards, I think you've just got to pick something that is reasonable and get on with it in my experience. Yeah. Is that too brutal or do you, do you head in that direction? Yourself? Well, it's a tough, it's a tough call, man, because mm-hmm. as the sign on the old country road said, pick your rut carefully, you'll be in it for the next 20 miles. You know, you, you pick your name and then you live with it. And so I, it, it is a tough one. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hurry through it. If you're having a mental roadblock on it, brainstorm with more people spend more time on it, but I wouldn't pick something you certainly don't like. That'll be a recipe for, you know, heartache for a long time because, yeah. you know, you have to assume this is going to be a successful venture. Yeah. And so that means you, maybe you're going to be with this for five, 10, 20 years, maybe your whole life. You don't know. So it, it is a tough call. 
on how much to compromise. You know, I, I would say you have to really, really like it a lot. Okay. You know, fair enough. No, I mean, I, yeah, I respect your, your thinking on that. There is no easy way of crunching this one. I, I just yeah. think uh, another thing to do is get some help. If you're getting stuck, yeah. there are people who specialize in naming because it is that important, just like there are specialists in pricing. And if you're getting stuck, I mean, you could do worse than spend, you know, two, three, four hundred bucks out for somebody on the sort of lower middle level to get a name done for them. If you like it, I think that's mm -hmm. bloody well spent, particularly if it stops you spending three months on doing it yourself and yeah. coming up with something of the same yeah. quality, right? So I would also just suggest you workshop it, you know, just talk to your friends, talk to your ideal customers, float it out there, get feedback and listen to them. Don't be defensive. Yeah, you know, yeah. You, you, you have this sunk cost fallacy in your mind. Once you get something you like, you yeah. have a fixation on it. But listen to people's feedback if they say, no, I don't know, or I'm confused by that, or, or it could be, you could be meaning this and, you know, there's a double entendre, you know, that, that could be something to, to really uh, hear, hear people's point of view on. Um, I think you're right. I think commercially speaking, I mean, you've got to like it yourself because it's your identity as a business, good points. But I think commercially speaking, what's more important is that it's not bad, which sounds yeah. a bit negative, but it, it just really, for yeah. example, Jeff Bezos very nearly named what is now Amazon Abracadabra because it's A, B mm. and it would, everything was listed alphabetically in those days. And that internet still would appear very high in search results. Good thing. But a horrible name compared. But, well, I mean, it's the thing is that a lot of people thought it sounded like cadaver, meaning dead body. And mm -hmm. so he, he, he nixed that. So the fact that it's called Amazon and it's associated with big things. I mean, that's, that seems so kind of obvious now, but that wasn't the first choice. So. Yeah, being wise about getting rid of things that are confusing or even off-putting or offensive to your potential consumers, I think you're absolutely right. And by the way, the, the tool that I would use to do that cheaply and quickly is PickFu, especially if you're looking at an American mm -hmm. audience, you can break it down by demographics and be quite specific. And uh, so yeah, come up with three or four options and then do a poll. And as you say, actually listen to polls. Yeah. Um, so yes, even naming, there, there's a lot that goes into this stuff, right? So we yeah. have to... Keep moving for now, but whilst recognizing that it's going to take some time and effort. And as you say, yeah. you're going to live with it for, for decades worth getting right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the e-commerce leader, folks. So let's wrap up today. We've been talking about branding and really this is the difference between your product and the other products out there. At least the product itself may be different and it should be different. And we'll talk all about that in the next episode. How are we going to get it made? But. If you haven't got anything different about who you are and what you stand for and who you're there to help very specifically, then it's going to be hard to stand out. So really we're talking about branding. The brand iceberg is about the invisible elements, not about the visible things, the logo and the name, important as they are, the absolutely critical thing is the brand promise. And don't start with quality. <laughs> Look at what your competition is doing, then be better at what they're weak at. Um, great examples, Death Wish Coffee, a uh, wonderful branding story uh, that Jason mentioned. And then the naming. So an example of a great bit of naming that is a made-up word, but that sounds really similar to a descriptive word. It's manuscripting, which is the brand created by Samantha Kozic. Um, it's a journal of all things. So that is a piece of paper, really. It was a series of pieces of paper behind two, between two covers couldn't be simpler as products go, but they've made a real success of that um, by wonderful branding and and specifically delivering on a brand promise. If you want to hear more from Samantha Kozic and manuscripting, then check out the interview I'm going to be doing with her soon over at Amazing FBA Podcast. 
the last thing that brings me to is just the importance of the name. And I think Jason's right. I tend to rush things sometimes because I want to get a first draft out there. But I think Jason's right that getting the name right, assuming it's going to be a success, you could be living with it for 10, 20 years or more. That's important as well. So if you've enjoyed today's show and you want some more help, uh, a couple of places to go. If you want help from Jason with uh, Shopify or any direct consumer or multi-channel selling, go to omnirocket.com. O-M for mother, N for November, I, rocket.com. The best thing I can offer you if you haven't started your brand yet is to use this link to get Ben Leonard's Quit Stalling and build your brand book. Bernard, somebody I've known for several years. I knew him when he started out on his Amazon journey. And within three years, he'd sold his business for seven figures. Crazy. So he walks the talk. Quitstallingbook.com forward slash amazing FBA is the place to go. If you want to get lots and lots of bonuses as well as the book, quitstallingbook.com forward slash amazing FBA. Thanks for listening and speak to you in the next show. Veteran e-commerce operators know that net profit is the vital lifeblood of a business. Better a small and profitable business than a large one that earns no money. The Profit Habits Workbook is designed to give you 17 actionable, specific and proven profit-taking actions. You can implement them at your own pace and let the power of this trusted framework revolutionize your company. The Profit Habits Workbook makes profit improvement a fast and efficient achievement. For a limited time, we are now sharing this resource with our listeners completely free with no strings attached. To download your 60-page workbook and begin your journey to a more profitable business today, just visit theecommerceleader.com forward slash profit habits.